Hello, beautiful humans. Welcome back. My guest today is Michael Malice, an author, political commentator, and podcaster, and also my road trip buddy for a journey that we're taking out to Russia later this summer. The first few weeks of 2021 have been madness. Michael joins me to try and connect the dots of chaos and give us an insight into why the world is slowly turning upside down. So today, expect to learn what a modern anarchist's perspective is on politics, what Michael thinks about the Wall Street bets and GameSpot debacle, what his predictions for a bright... Biden, a Biden presidency, Biden presidency are why the Capitol Hill siege will never be forgotten, and much more. You're also going to get to hear him take the piss out of the way that I say Russia constantly throughout this episode. So yeah, enjoy that. I suppose I absolutely love having him on. He's become such a good friend since you first heard him on the show nearly a year ago now, and uh, I can't wait to go and visit his homeland later this year. In other news. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by brand new sponsor, DW Aligners. You may have seen Invisible Aligners already. You may have considered getting them, but during a pandemic, you might be thinking that it's too logistically difficult or expensive to do. Well, you're wrong. Diamond White's Invisible Aligners are 70% cheaper than traditional Invisible Aligners by reducing your trips to the dentist. You track your progress using Diamond White's self-scan unit, which uses artificial intelligence and their team of registered dentists to ensure that you're moving forward correctly. They've had over half a billion scans and counting. Within three to six months, you can have the perfect smile that you want. It's an easier, quicker, and cheaper way to get the smile that you've always dreamed of while still receiving all the support and expertise you would traditionally. They also offer great finance plans, and it's 70% cheaper than other invisible aligners. The digital system means that often they can skip regular trips to the dentist just using an at-home impression kit, digital scanners around the UK, and a dental monitoring system so that they can create a fast treatment for a fraction of the price compared to traditional methods. Their custom-made invisible aligners slowly move your teeth into the right position, you change them regularly, and they have incremental movement to recreate the straighter smile you've always wanted. So, head to dwaligners.co.uk and you can get 10% off an already ridiculously cheap price with Wisdom 10. That can save you up to £230 off the treatment and £10 off your initial impression kit. Initial impression kit's less than £100 already, so you can get it for 89 quid to just get your impressions done. Head to dwaligners.co.uk. They've got an FAQ on there. They've got Dr. Richard Marcus, the co-founder. They've got all of his information on there, plus reviews and everything else that you would want to know. Honestly, given that you're probably not going into the office and sat around at home not seeing anyone... Now is the perfect time to start an invisible aligner treatment and dwaligners.co.uk and the code WISDOM10 mean that you can get started and have that perfect smile within three to six months from today. dwaligners.co.uk But for now, it's time for the wise and Russian Michael Malice. <laughs> what do you mean? You've been trying to copy what, me. What you, what, yeah, because not copy you, but like you, you say words in a unique way. Russia, um, Russia, yeah. <laughs> it's the word Russia. That's it. Yeah. Man, so, is what it is. How are you today? You good? I'm very good. 
Yeah, man. I'm excited to have you here. I want to try and get a proper understanding of your political position. Now we're going away to Russia later this year. <laughs> <laughs> later this year, and I feel like I need I need to kind of really get my get my teeth stuck into what you believe. So, what are the principles of your political position? Um. Well, one of the principles is that you don't need to get into what I believe because I think it's a very um, insidious concept that we have to be friends with people who agree with us or, or to discuss politics at all. There's this concept that, you know, politics have to permeate every aspect of every person's life and, you know, they have to constantly be discussed. And this is something I'm completely opposed to. I think it's it's really a horrible idea uh, and it's tribalism, which I'm not entirely opposed to at, at its worst. Uh, if you know, if, if someone is, uh, if you're having an emergency at home, you know, you don't quickly run a scan. Oh, well, I want to call this person, but they voted the wrong way or something like that. So po- my political views, and you're referring to anarchism, it's simply being against politics as a mechanism of resolving disputes. And, you know, everything just follows as a consequence of that. Um, it's, I, I mean, I, we can unpack it, but that's basically it in a nutshell. Is that a typical perspective? on anarchism uh i don't know that there is a typical perspective there's different schools of anarchism there's like a i think it's there's an anarchist lapel pins um website and they have the 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 standard flag of anarchism is the black flag but there's black and red black and gold black and pink black and blue uh so all the different schools of anarchism so and they disagree very heavily uh but it's going to be a venn diagram yeah, I understand. I mean, the main reason I wasn't necessarily trying to agree, but I'm curious. I'm interested. I don't see many people saying that they're anarchists in 2021. So what, what, why do you find it compelling? What's interesting about it? Well, I think it closely explains the what we're seeing in politics. I think it's an effective predictor of future uh, social political behavior. Um, I think it's the only worldview that allows someone to have a clean conscience with what they advocate uh, politically. And I I think that's just basically what it uh, comes down to. I also want to point out that anyone who has a radical philosophy, you know, is going to come off as either a moron or a lunatic. You know, if you told me that you had a friend who's quite tall and I said, how tall? And you said, you know, he's 6'10 or whatever, 2.1 meters. It's like, okay, that's pretty tall. But if you said that they're, you know, 10 meters tall or they're purple tall, it's nonsensical, right? So at a certain point, once an ideology is so divorced from what is presented as, you know, part of the normal realm of discourse, uh, people will automatically, you know, preemptively dismiss it, although that's decreasing in the case. How do you transition from a situation where we are now to one where there's ever anarchy at large you, by definition you can't have an anarchist party well sure you can they have had them in the past i mean they could just be there to kind of uh gin up the works and and you know cause uh, anarchism it just means voluntary association now anarchists are opposed to political activity but you can certainly say like look uh, you know i'm opposed to war but i'm going this is a case where it's a self-defense situation so there's the argument to be made for that with things like voting um I'm sorry, what was the start of the question? 
<laughs> trying to work out how you transition. Oh, how you get there. Yes. Yeah. So anarchism isn't a location, it's a relationship. And the vast um, proportion of our lives, especially in the West, are anarchist. Uh, you and I have an anarchist relationship. There's no position possibility we're calling the police. Uh, right. If there was some kind of even we were somewhere together and we got violent, we're still not calling the state. Uh, if we were at a bar, you know, I'd get kicked out or you'd get kicked out. So this claim that all kind of um, – peace and prosperity is a function of the state, is really, from the anarchist perspective, akin to saying, well, if it wasn't for all these exorcists, we'd all be possessed. Uh, the norm between human beings is uh, peace, uh, not on a large scale, because that's a function of governments, governments give war, um, but we generally tend to be more peaceful than not, for the simple reason, not because people are, are basically good, but because violence is expensive. Because once there's violence in a situation, then other people who aren't at all associated, you see this in bar fights. Like people jump in to try to quash it because people understand very easily that these things tend to escalate and then it becomes very expensive to everyone. It's asymmetrical. Let's put a stop to it, you know, right quick. Um, so how do you get there? Well, there's certain mechanisms. It's delegitimizing the state. It's encouraging um, aggression, not not violent aggression, but just interpersonal aggression and hostility towards agents of the state. It's casting um, aspersions upon democracy and democratic process. And it's not a numbers game. So, uh, you know, a lot of people think, well, you're never getting a majority to agree with you, but your only your win condition of having a majority is based on democracy. Other systems do not base their win condition on having a majority of people agree with me. And, and they once every four years go into a ballot box and flick a switch. It seems like at a small level, an interpersonal level, individual, me and you, we do have quite a, an anarchist relationship. But as you right. say, when you scale that up, is it, is it realistic that you can allow an entire 330 million person country to exist like that? Well, you wouldn't need, it's not a, it wouldn't be a country at that point, but let me give you an, an example of how this is already a status quo. Um, every country is in a state of anarchy towards every other country, right? So if a Canadian kills a, an American in Mexico, I don't know what happens, you don't know what happens, but we know that there's a process put in place. So if security was private, where it would be a function of your cell phone instead of your geography, you know, if I attacked you on the, I have one security firm, you have another one, and we're at someone else's domicile, what would the situation be? We don't know, but we know it would be resolved in advance without the consumer having to work it out for the simple reason that if I'm on one phone company and you're at another, it works out and we have no idea what happened behind the scenes. If their goal is to provide security and you know generate profit at, at that, they're going to make it as easy for the users as possible, as opposed to governments who generate funding and generate revenue as a function of creating problems and creating stress and having that as an excuse to raise taxes and uh, seize more assets from the populace. Does anarchism need capitalism? in order to facilitate that then? No, um, the original anarchists were violently anti-capitalist um, and they viewed capitalism, you know, in a sense, more similar to what we would call nowadays corporatism. Uh, and their analysis of this is spot on. Uh, 2020, we saw the systemic destruction of medium and small businesses that was cheered on by corporate America, both with riots and looting here in the States and also the COVID lockdowns. It did wonders for companies like Amazon and Walmart, 
uh, all the little stores here in New York that I'm a fan of, they went out of business because they couldn't sustain it. So what uh, the original anarchists, people like Emma Goldman and and uh, even before her, Bakunin and, and people like that, Kropotkin, what they were concerned about is this collusion between large business and the state. And in that regard, they are spot on that this is the worst of all, uh, um, well, not the worst of all worlds, but it's it's pretty darn bad. And by getting rid of the state, you can get rid of that collusion. Right, because you're you're not going to have a monopoly without the government forcing everyone to be a uh, um, subscriber to that product. You would have the what governments do in every industry is create barriers to entry for smaller companies because those offer competition to the large dinosaurs that have effectively seized large parts of the market in the past. I had Andy No on the show last week, and he was talking yeah, about who? I'm sorry, Andy No. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he said that Antifa identifies anarcho-communists and revolutionary Marxists. How close or far is this from the purity of a normal anarchist? Um, it's closer than it's pretty darn close. A lot of you know ancaps, anarcho-capitalists think Antifa doesn't have a right to call themselves anarchists, and and they certainly do. The early anarchists were very, especially in the UK. Uh, the term in the UK was synonymous with terrorist. Uh, this is why the Sex Pistols song, you know, Anarchy in the UK, was so shocking because there he's Johnny Rotten is explicitly saying, "I want to destroy passersby." It was this, and they were also called nihilists at the time. This was an ideology where we're going to have violent revolution, we're going to, you know, blow up businesses or business people and assassinate. So there is this very long history, for better or for worse, um, with the black flag that um, Antifa is in regards to self in some regards, is in some sense, as an, as an heir to. Does that not make it difficult to try and get people on board with, though? If the thin end of the wedge, like the front end of the funnel, is rioting and looting and violence and black flags and black block... That doesn't seem like a very fun world for me to step into. I am disturbed by how much of a recruiting tool that has now become um, in America because the degree to which people have become comfortable with violence towards state actors and uh, people who they regard as opposed to them is happening at an astronomical pace. Uh, when the Capitol was stormed a couple of weeks ago, uh, the the protesters, rioters, whatever you want to call them, they put up a gallows in front of Capitol Hill. And I think there is an enormous sense, especially with these lockdowns, an enormous sense of people becoming comfortable with the idea of doing very bad things. And I'm extremely concerned about this uh, because violence follows its own logic. Uh, it's not the kind of thing where, you you know, if you just shoot the king, everything resolves itself. Once you start going down that road, you no one has any idea where it's going to end up other than what you are guaranteed of is more oppression, more violence, innocent people being hurt. Uh, and it's it's really something I'm, of enormous concern to me uh, in the beginning of 2021. And because there is this attempt by the corporate media here to kind of sweep it under the rug. And when you have a population that's become comfortable with the idea of violence and they're kind of ignored, A, they're going to be able to do it and no one's going to see it coming. And B, they're going to be encouraged to do it because now they feel that they've been made invisible, nothing to lose. Didn't you say at the very beginning, though, that being averse to state actors was part of the anarchists' agenda? Yeah, but averse doesn't mean like shooting people in the head. It means contempt it means do not regard the cops as heroes 
Uh, I was on Tim Pool not that long ago with Alex Jones, and one of my favorite Britishisms is uh, they call the cops the filth. Uh, in fact, one of this is actually a funny story. I was on the BBC radio like this would have been 15 years ago. And I always thought, and maybe I'm wrong, that the British are a lot more culturally liberal than the states, that we're all more fuddy-duddies here. Maybe this was a misconception. And the interviewer said, oh, Michael, you know, in this, this blog you have, you guys take a lot of shots at the cops. And I said, well, it's like my dad, I was, I was an immigrant from the Soviet Union, Russia. I said, <laughs> my dad always told me, and I said this innocently, you know, because I thought this is Europe. They're going to have the same perspective as the, as the Russian perspective. I, my dad always told me wherever you go, wherever you end up in the world, the stupidest people are always, always the cops. The guy audibly gasped and he said, Michael, this is a family show and changed the subject. And I was very surprised to see that um, uh, having been the case. But that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. So Carl Benjamin says this, and I totally agree with him, that the British are very procedural. Like, okay. if you look at the – there was those scenes at the Capitol Hill riots where the rioters had broken into the Capitol, but as they were walking through one of the main halls or atriums, had stayed inside of the ropes. Yes. Um, that is so British. That is precisely the sort of thing that a British person would do. Uh, you know, they'd, they'd uh, make sure – I saw a guy the other day who was outside of a butcher's shop. This is before lockdown, and he was – he had gloves on mask on smoking gloves on mask on smoking yeah, outside yeah. of it very procedural in the way that we go about things and um perhaps that's contributed to it a little bit because obviously the police are basically the enforcement of the procedure right what about so you you mentioned about the capitol hill and and the other rights that we've seen over the last year do you look on that and see it as a misuse of your particular political ideology Oh, no. I think whenever you have politicians hiding in fear, uh, as the way they had the rest of us hiding in fear in their own, locked in our own homes for a year, uh, the imagery there cannot ever be unseen. Uh, everyone's going to stand there and tell you how strong the regime is and how powerful it is. And when you have 20 people who can just walk into the Capitol, including a guy from Burning Man, I think literally he was a Burning Man person, this demonstrates that for better or for worse, uh, this is not a system that is going to be able to protect you. And that is the big selling point of the state. It's that you give up your choices and we're going to keep you safe. Uh, big Brother's watching. I know they have that those signs unironically in London. And it's like, well, they're, they're lying to you. So if they can't even keep these, you know, D-list barbarians out from their, you know, sacred temple they're not going to be able to protect you, and this is going to cause a lot of people to recalibrate or, or uh, their view of the state and uh, the state authorities. So you see people break into the Capitol building or take downtown uh, Portland or create a Capitol Hill autonomous zone. How do you stop people from losing so much faith in society as a whole that they become nihilistic? Even if they don't necessarily subscribe to the anarchist movement, you could just think, oh, God, like I, I had all of my faith in the state and now what have I got left to support me? Well, that's the goal is to have them to lose all faith in the state. Now, if there's people whose entire sense of identity was faith in the state and now they feel lost, I can't help you. You're not one of my people. Uh, I think both of those positions are untenable and, and kind of sad. 
Um, but I think once you, you know, it's like everyone leaving home. It's like once you realize that this is all a sham, this is enormously liberating because now you're either free to or in a negative sense are forced to confront your own destiny and confront your own choices. Um, this is one of the things that drove people crazy about, you know, uh, the, these masks. They're being told this is giving you a sense. If you follow orders, you're going to be safe. It doesn't matter what the efficacy is. What matters is I get to be obedient and in turn I'm being guaranteed that my life isn't in danger. It, it's, it's nonsensical, um, but that's where we are. Is there a value of despair that newly indoctrinated anarchists tend to slip into? There must be a point at which you go, right, okay, all of the old rules are gone and none of the new rules and the new um, freedoms, liberties that must come along with being an anarchist, have, uh, they haven't arrived yet. Well, yeah, but that's not exclusive to anarchism. That's the, the, the danger of cynicism, right? Once you realize you know, you've been lied to all your life and it's not mistakes, systemically lied to, there's the danger of getting into this stupid catcher in the rye mindset everyone's a phony this all sucks i'm gonna listen to you know the cure uh, right in my diary with fingerless gloves so my goal is to kind of speak to those people and be like you know, like slap them beside the head metaphorically and be like you're being silly uh this is teenage you know nonsense and now is your opportunity to be an adult and make your mark on the world or just find your bliss given that the capitol hill riots have been probably it managed to beat even the election and COVID in terms of news coverage over a short period of time. What do you think people should have taken away from that? That there is, that Trump was the, they thought Trump was the river, but he was the dam. They thought Trump was the source of all this kind of, um, uh, um, all the things that they hated. And that once you get, like he's in, I used this metaphor before, he's like the head vampire. Once you get rid of the head vampire, all the other vampires dissolve and you can return to what you perceive as normal. There's not going to be a return. Um, you, uh, the enemy class will never have this absolute power that they had before, even anywhere near it. Uh, increasingly, people are becoming not just hostile to them, but how do you have a conversation with someone who doesn't just distrust you but it's completely uninterested in anything you have to say. I don't see how you can put that Humpty Dumpty back together again. And I think that is going to be, so their only metric is silence the opposition, right? If Because basically if you have two options and then I get rid of one, by default, everyone's going to go to me. Well, it's very hard to silence an entire population a world where there's technology, entire internet based on allowing people the opportunity to speak and present their points of view. I don't see how it's done. And it's also, and the left historically has understood this, when you drive a population underground and they have nothing to lose, this is going to radicalize them and blow up in very dangerous ways. So I have thought for a long time what I would do if I were you know, the corporate press to try to reintegrate this population society. And they're basically doing the complete opposite of what I would advise. And I'm not surprised because if they're capable of learning, they wouldn't be the enemy class. What would you advise? Let's say that Michael Malice gets put in charge of the media. How do you bring sure. the, the disaffected groups back in? I would have some sort of – it would be tough because since I have for decades been you know, f advocating for war – 
lying to a population, just brazenly, shamelessly go to their children, it's going to be really hard to get them back on board. But I would do things like I would take some sort of marginal figures and put them in some kind of ceremonial position and pretend, okay, we're going to make an effort to reintegrate. Um, I would uh, stop trying to I would have these places where people could have these discussions, but try to build as many moats around them as possible instead of trying to silence them completely. Let them talk to each other, but try to have that talking not reach the mainstream consensus. That's going to be hard. Um, and I would try, stop trying to do things like if you're sitting there talking about calls for vengeance and people can hear you, this is really going to give them an incentive to strike first right? Because then it becomes self-defense. So all of Twitter was all about, we have to persecute these people. We have to drive Josh Hawley from the Senate, Ted Cruz from the Senate. We have to make sure this never happens again. It's like Trump's numbers went up from in terms of the voting share from 2016. So you really have a problem if for four years of going after someone who is not particularly a, a good person or a nice person, and he had more people voting for him the second time around, strategically whatever approach you had did not work because it did even though he did lose the election it did not decrease the number of people who are comfortable going in that ballot box and for whatever reason flicking that switch on his behalf is that not the maddest thing that the media the legacy media the left everybody threw everything that they had at that election kitchen sink went the cat went the baby and the bathwater, and only just scraped through a democratic victory yeah and they lost uh a huge a significant number of seats in the house uh joe biden is the last time this the incoming president didn't have the senate he has a 51 to 50 but you know this is marginal was richard nixon so that is not a governing consensus in the house it's something like 219 to 212 uh these are i mean and because it's you know here in the states each party is basically coalitions of different groups. 219 Democrats is not as cohesive and coherent as people think because you're going to have different wings and they're going to have different perspectives. And it's going to be very, very hard to get that majority through, especially in the Senate where one person and you're done. And every senator, of course, represents different states and has different egos. So it is um, amazing. And the, the articles were already written. If there had been any metric other than losing, of course, where Trump kind of went down – Trumpism has been repudiated. The American people have come to their senses. They were just champing at the bit. And yes, Biden won, and they tried to put that over, but it fell completely on deaf ears. And again, I don't know what they can do to get people listening to them um, again. Naval Ravikant on Rogan said this quote, and he didn't cite where it's from, but it's the best thing that I've heard around this. And he said, the left won the culture war. Now they're just driving around shooting the survivors. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that they won the culture war. They created culture historically. Yeah. The um, right just didn't bother getting involved. Right. And th the thing is, there's an enormous asymmetry between right and left, because when there's left wing, like cultural violence, it's rioting. But when you have right wing cultural violence, it gets really ugly, really, really fast because they're not playing. They're playing for keeps. And it's it's quick and it's very brutal. So I am desperately hoping it doesn't reach that point and i don't see any mechanisms of it slowing down that's precisely what i've said for the last few months this tit-for-tat mechanism 
I do a thing to you, you do it back to me yeah. a little bit more, I do it back to you a little bit more, and it just escalates. And what what have you got left? You, there's only two ways that things happen. It can either be dictatorial, top-down, or it can be emergent, bottom-up. The right. culture's not slowing down. We've got frictionless communication, which permit yep. everyone to go from brain to fingertip or mouth to internet world with basically absolutely no restrictions at all. That, on its own accounts for an awful lot of why we're seeing more vitriol online. Like, we're not built to have our thoughts be broadcast to the entire world. Like, you shouldn't do it. Think about 200 years ago, you'd get a quill out, a piece of paper, and maybe like a pigeon or a raven or something like that, and you would send it to the local battlements. Like, if you're going to say something, you better make sure that it actually is meaningful. You can't just, like, toilet tweet something that ends up going viral and getting you in loads of trouble. Yeah, uh, is this about when you guys burned down the White House? Because we haven't forgotten about it. <laughs> I didn't know that Russia had a had a White House. <laughs> yeah, it's a Crystal Palace, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is that new one billion pound palace, man. I want to get onto that. Obviously, I had a, a guy called John Sweeney, who was the BBC's correspondent for Panorama out in Russia for quite a while, and um, he was telling me about this Alexei Navalny thing before that. What do you think about this whole chaos of GameStop and Wall Street bets? And then today we found out about the market trying to shut the traders down. Is this a digital form of anarchy? Uh, I don't know if it's anarchy per se, but it's certainly um, anytime people's pompous posturing and their BS. I've been following it closely because I know once I sit down for and follow this story through from everyone who's been forwarding to me, like my pants are going to be ruined because I'm just it's going to be downright pornographic. Like everyone's like, you don't understand. This is what you've been predicting and calling for. So I'm I need to sit down where I have nice uh, pants. You wanted a separate ball ball and uh, yeah, and, sheath underwear. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah because this is this is everyone's like you. This is exactly what you like. Um, whenever pomposity and pretension, which is a form of deceit, is undermined especially in a populist way or just by in a clever way. This is something I absolutely adore. Uh, I don't think this is all exclusive to, you know, anarchism per se, um, but it's wonderful. Um, so, I, and what else is very useful is it's a lot, I think we're a lot closer to a brave new world than 1984. It's a lot easier to manipulate a population through pleasure than through force and through oppression, if you just give them a little bit of cheese and you give them a job, it's going to be very hard to get them to be riled up and you could just milk them all day long. Um, so whenever, if you're going to win a war, as I intend to, or I hope to, it's of enormous utility when they take the gloves off and they have to demonstrate that underneath they're perfectly happy to use brute force or whatever, just be unsophisticated, like, okay, we're just going to shut it down. And then it becomes a lot easier to demonstrate that these people don't give a damn about you. Uh, they're out looking for their own best interest, which is their prerogative. But this pretense, this corporate BS, that we're all in this together and blah, 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 it's just complete sociopathy and nonsense. And a lot of people will never appreciate this, and that's fine, but you don't want them on your team anyway. A lot of people who can be won over, they're going to see things like this, and they're going to be like, okay, like I'm starting to get it. Like This is just a complete facade. I'm trying to work out what the particular quirk is in uh, with my makeup. I think it is partly being British and enjoying the procedure. I'm also moderately orderly. 
But I'm an orderly guy. My bedroom tends to be tidy and I put things away in rows in the cupboard and stuff like that. Um, and for me, I enjoy watching people like Alex Jones. I enjoy learning about alternative worldviews and I enjoy questioning, or at least indulging myself in thought experiments around what is the state's ulterior motives and stuff like that. But it does feel usually a little bit like watching a pantomime. You're like, yeah, yeah, like that looks good. But I know that the the guys will go backstage and take their clothes off and it'll all just be normal, like the way that I know the world to be once it's kind yes. of all finished. But increasingly there are things happening, and this is such a stark example. You see the market move, which is quantifiable, which makes it really interesting because you can actually see what's happening. It's not just a sentiment, right? It's not just how right. people feel. It's quantifiable metrics there in front of you. And you see this market move, and then these different structures of power start to come in. So Robinhood decide that they're going to stop trading, and then other platforms say that they're going to stop trading. And then there's questions about circuit breakers being put into the market so that they can stop the price moving at all. You're seeing people, 50% of Robinhood clients hold some GameStop stock. So by stopping that trading, not allowing anyone else to buy, you're just sending the price in one direction. Like... It, and then the the most interesting thing about it all is that when you have a distributed network of people who have far too much time on their hands and are smarter than they are kind of moronic, like they all call themselves like a proud community of autists, but like right. you don't want to fuck with those people. They know they're not going to forget anything. They they know well, what they, they they know what they're talking about. They just can't look you in the eye whilst they say it. I whilst I had a chapter about this in my last book about Gamergate, because part of the evangelical left is the idea that these princi political principles have to be at implemented in every aspect of your life, including sci-fi and fantasy and movies. So even places you go to escape the earth, you know, these edicts have to be followed through. One of the examples I used, which, you know, you want to talk about autism, I got it right here, was on Star Trek. They finally had a they finally uh, that's the word they used, had a black Vulcan. And if you want to go full autistic, the idea that human races evolved in parallel on other planets is absolutely <laughs> deranged. But right, if you're gonna if you're gonna look at it from that perspective, from their perspective, no, you have to have diversity, even though if it makes no sense. There was a video game that took place in the Middle Ages of of of, of Europe, and they were complaining there wasn't enough diversity there as well. So it becomes completely, you know, very top down and uh, um, uh, um, nonsensical. So this when you know, the corporate journalists came for this community. Like you were saying, this is an entire population with too much time in their hands who also spend their time trying to figure out how the, the enemy, in this case, in the video games, the enemy works and what weapons do I need to do to conquer this enemy? They don't look at it in terms... It, so it becomes a game to them. It's like, okay, let's do A-B testing. Let's try different tactics. And it's decentralized... So you have an army of these people. It's like Al-Qaeda, right? There's no – you can't kill the one guy and everything falls away. They're used to this. They've been training for it their entire <laughs> lives, right? They have. This is, this all is our do. moment. Right. But no, I mean literally they're spending hours trying to accomplish these goals that have been set for them with adversaries in the way. So it's a beautiful um, – you know, one of the things you and I talk about – you know, uh, personally is kind of this whole generation who they are getting more attention, but they're kind of being told that they don't exist of these kind of alienated young males 
right? So in some cases, it goes in a very, very bad direction. You know, you kind of have this white nationalism, this sense of, oh, your life is bad because there's too many minorities. And now this racial identity means you can look at what your grandfather supposedly did. Now you're a great person. But this is another example. You could be at your desktop, your, what do they call them, like war, war station, and you can cause systemic carnage against some really nasty people and have lulls at the same time. Isn't that great? So I, I am a big fan of, uh, uh, I don't know about the specifics of this case, to be honest, but I'm a big fan of this ethos. It is, I think the first time that you heard about it was me telling you perhaps, or maybe Trey, our, it mutual, was you. Yeah, our yeah. mutual buddy is also a big uh, Wall Street Bets follower. But I spoke about it last year. I'd seen some mad shit that they'd done last year. These guys, what is it they call like 4chan founder Bloomberg Terminal, they call themselves. And uh, cool. yeah, it really is. They're, they're your people. They're oh, your yeah. people. That could be the party of malice there. There's 3.5 million of them in that subreddit now. It's it's a wonderful thing. And that's what else is hilarious. They're like, well, we'll just shut shut down this subreddit. As if somehow on the internet there's any shortage of places to create communities. <laughs> when you have 3.5 million people, let's propose 1% of them are programmers. Like, how hard is it going to be where all they're interested in doing is being able to text each other? They're not trying to build spaceships. They just need a space to exchange information where there's a worldwide infrastructure designed to facilitate this, as you said earlier. It's It's glorious. Did you see that Ja Rule got involved today? I did. <laughs> I, I'm not really sure who he is. For racist reasons, I'm assuming he's a rapper. He is. Well, yeah, yeah he was, his trend was filed under hip-hop. I mean, that's, okay. fairly, that's fairly racist by Twitter. It had nothing to do with hip-hop. Like, you know, he's an entrepreneur. He's a budding entrepreneur. He's part of Fire Festival. Yeah, someone, oh, okay. someone posted the Dave Chappelle bit going like, why the fuck do I care about what Ja Rule thinks at this moment? It's from one of his old stand-ups. Yeah. It was just an entire thread of people posting that below. It's. I think that's also this great thing, you know, blue-pilled, red-pilled. It's like you're sitting at home and you have – some people have political perspectives of one kind or another. But then it's like why am I getting political orders from actors who are puppets made out of meat? Like it makes no sense on any level and it's such an insincere – propaganda technique that i think people increasingly and i'm doing what i can start to resent it it, really it would make does... more sense if someone was a writer of these sitcoms because writers <laughs> have to create a narrative writers have to be coherent and logical writers to some extent have to be in touch with the reality an actor you you don't really ha you have no original thoughts or the thoughts you do have aren't part of your job it feels to me like there's a common thread, and I haven't worked out what it is, but a common thread through a lot of what we're seeing at the moment. I spoke to John Sweeney, who, like I said, is the Russia correspondent, or used to be ex, for Panorama BBC. And um, he was talking about Alexei Navalny, who's just gone back to his home country and was immediately... <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep saying Russia because you make me laugh. Um, went back to his home country, was immediately uh, arrested upon arrival... The, we've had the Capitol Hill, we've had the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, we've had Portland riots, we've had this that we're seeing happening with Wall Street bets. The iterative speed of the devolving of yeah. what used to be these structures, is this one common thread? Is there something oh. going on and what is it? You hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's a very good insight because states are not quick actors. 
a lot of times with these COVID, for example, let's suppose you know every aspect of emergency is actually exactly as it's presented. You have governors issuing these edicts, but even in that case, this is a very dynamic system where the virus, you know, the one state's going to go down, it's going to be another state. It's very, very hard, and no one will deny this for any kind of government to act or react to a dynamic situation. Compared to that, to Twitter. Uh, someone on Twitter or someone on, on Reddit or Reddit, something like yeah. that. Yeah, where you have all these people, it's decentralized, everyone can be on top of it, and the information spreads more quickly. Whereas with the state, you have to have, you know, Fauci, and then this has to go out, and then you have to go over the press release and check the wording. It's never going to be, and it can't really be, because it has to be official and by the book, and you're talking about the whole government, the whole country. It really has to be, you know, a very proper process as opposed to this kind of free process, which I'm more of a fan of. And that's an enormous asymmetry. You know, by the time something reaches Biden's desk, these guys will be moving on. I mean, think about how many um, hoops something has to jump through before it reaches Boris Johnson's attention. There's an entire process in place. He's got his cabinet, you know, and all his assistants to make sure the only things that reach his attention are things that require the PM's direct attention. At the same time, they're not necessarily going to have the foresight like you did to be like, wait a minute, this is something that's up and coming because to them, they're not spending time on Reddit. They don't know the internet. So this is going to be completely hit them upside the head out of nowhere. And by the time they are like, let's sit down and figure out how to react, it's two weeks later and they've already moved on. This is, this is another reason I'm so enormously optimistic about the future of the West. Is it a function of frictionless communication is it something inherent to do with the population growth being where it is? Is it the fact that everyone's got access to information and knowledge so that there aren't these gated communities of understanding anymore? Have you got any sense of why people, this common, common thread appears to be occurring? I think it's a lot of it's also the enormous disconnect between how people in power are presented as moral, superior, um, people who should be listened to and obeyed as opposed to the reality. And when you have this enormous disconnect and it gives people the opportunity to A, undermine it, and B, enjoy themselves and feel empowered that they're doing something about it, this is a very dangerous combo for uh, the elites. How do you avoid, that's something I just thought of, how do you avoid normlessness and meaninglessness within uh, an anarchistic society? Because if you're stripping back a lot of the previous institutions that people would have relied on to find their sense of self, and both me and you are big proponents of personal sovereignty and upward agency and yeah. all that sort of stuff. But it, you know, we have to concede that that isn't for everybody. Some people require those bigger structures to hold themselves together. How would you propose supporting those people? Oh, I don't support them. I don't care about them. They're ballast. They're, they don't really... <laughs> Fucking ballast. They are. Breed, they have breeders. no ideas. That bring, yeah, they bring nothing. To, well, that's a pejorative. They're, they bring nothing to the table. Um, and, you know, if they were in uh, maybe Iran, they'd be radical jihadis. And in, if they're in Britain, they're this. In America, they're this. They don't really think critically. And that's fine. But in terms of what can be done for them, I mean, I, I don't really know. I can't empathize with, with them. The, whatever system works out, like they will just... Oh, 
obey whatever is the rules of the game and they they will be able to kind of follow suit and they'll watch the sitcoms and and you know and live this kind of docile cow-like life um but i don't spend much time uh, uh, thinking about them this is something that i stress a lot with you know people who are followers of mine they're like look at all these people who are mindless and i'm like how are these mindless people a threat to you like they're they're they have no they're, they're like trees like if are you like well we can't win because there's all these trees it's like what does that have to do with anything like any population an enormous percent enormous percentage of it is going to be with people who really are in a very fundamental way mindless, who have no kind of inner voice, who are opposed or incapable, this is a big argument, are they opposed or incapable of thinking critically? And are, you know, H.L. Mencken, the great American kind of cynic from the early 20th century, said, has this great quote about the average man does not want to be free, he simply wants to be safe. And I think you're seeing that a lot more in Britain, sadly, than in the States nowadays, how they really want to be told what to do and kind of like just follow suit. And I know you're you know, an entrepreneur and, and kind of really trying to become much more self-actualized. And you've talked to me about this, how this is something that you find, uh, it's not only frustrating to be surrounded by it, but it's also maddening in the sense of like, how are you like this? Like th we are so blessed with so many opportunities and you just wanna watch, you know, uh, Celebrity Big Brother and whatnot and, and just, you know, have a pint and then go to bed. It Not is, that there's anything wrong with that, but that's their highest that's their highest aspiration. I, I love trashy TV. I love having a drink or whatever, but there there's a time and a place for both. My tragedy, the tragedy that I see is people doing that every decade for three right. or four in a row. That to me is is a life wasted. Um yes. and it's their life to waste, but it still doesn't mean necessarily that I need to be an advocate or supportive in any way of it. I wonder whether it's a particularly British phenomenon. I can't speak for other people, other nations. Maybe some of the people can let us know in the comments from where they're from and, and how they find their culture with regards to this total lack of personal sovereignty and upward mobility uh, and an ability to do anything sort of uh, laterally as well, to think like, okay, here is the path that I'm on. Let's just see what happens if I take a big left turn. Like, let's just see. Maybe yeah. maybe it totally wrecks everything, but maybe it's actually not that bad. And um, I've had this idea for a while that it's because we're waterlocked, because we're quite a small nation, because the weather's quite bad. The even if you These look are at excuses, so, no. So this is me. This is me saying what are the things that feed it into the British culture more. I know, so. but these are right. But you know what I mean. Like we'll always, you'll always find a reason not to achieve, or not to hope, or not to think critically. There's no shortage ever. Do you see this? Can you imagine like someone saying like the reason I don't want to aspire to, you know, run my own like toffee shop is because of the weather? I get that. It's but like, uh, we're, we're mimetic creatures, right? Mimetic desire sure. is a big thing. And I feel like in a place that had more, uh, that was more cosmopolitan, for instance, as one thing, if you had a bigger country with more international visitors, you may have more people coming and going that would actually be able to broaden your mindset. If you had slightly better weather, people would be able to do more things outside of just, like at the moment, it's dark at 8am and 4.30pm, and it's raining all day, every day. There isn't a massive amount of stuff that you can do. If you could, perhaps that would broaden your perspective. Maybe I don't just need to go pub, Netflix, work, pub, Netflix, work. Yeah, you're not going to tell me London's not international enough. I mean, this this is, it, it. it's really, and there's so, I love British culture. 
And in fact, I've been to the UK once and I did not have a good time. And I interviewed Ari up. She was from the band The Slits, old school punk band, Johnny Rotten's um, stepdaughter. And she said, yeah, I'm not going to do her accent. She had this Jamaican accent. She passed away not that long ago. And she said, yeah, we all hated London. We couldn't wait to get the fuck out of there, her words. And she's like, no wonder you didn't have a good time. And to me, the 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 best thing about uh, Britain is how it, you know, you know, obviously the British Empire, I'm sure something that's very mixed uh, emotional people, uh, resonance with people from England. But the idea that you had all these countries from all over the world under the sway of the queen or whoever the king was at the time, and you imported elements to it, to Britain, and it made this kind of cosmopolitan culture, like tea time, you know, coming from Japan and, and I mean, music and the British Museum, are you kidding me? It's just it's just uh, an amazing miracle of civilization. So I, I, I don't buy into that at all. I just because it, it's, if the rain is gonna stop you, from like becoming a better person it's not the rain (laughs) (laughs) it's a good point i think i might be slightly jaded because i'm in newcastle which is the last city before scotland and there is a very much a small town mentality as soon as you get pretty much out of london you go to even the biggest cities manchester birmingham you have people like born live die aren't those kind of like like shithole i mean aren't they like really kind of like relics of what they used to be and that they're kind of very depressing used to be much more industrial uh and this kind of like economic decay the, i think that's most of the uk man like you know yeah really what have we got we, it's not like we have natural resources the only thing that we can export is our intellect and our accent like those no, my, are the, my, those are the two biggest exports that we have my friend was is a uh, mick ronson's daughter he was bowie's guitarist and he was from hull and she's like you don't understand like what it's like going there she's like it's it's like maybe it's like detroit but it's really like you go, you know, when the Sex Pistols sing about there's no future, there are those places in the UK, and you'd obviously know this better than I do, where you grow up and it's it, it, the, in those cases, the weather does matter because if everything's run down and the weather sucks and it's dark, it's very hard to see sunshine and emotional levels. So I'll, I'll, I'll accept that, certainly. Moving forward, what are the main changes that you think people should expect, uh, especially in the American media and culture without Trump? in office anymore obviously we had this knife edge that it was could it go one way could it go another and yeah. four more years we could have probably had a good understanding of what to expect just more of the same but now that he's no longer there what do you reckon is going to happen it's it is going to be so demented this year that people have no idea uh what's coming it's been what two weeks into the biden administration and we're already seeing like they're talking about putting on second masks and, you know, what we're just seeing with GameStop and so on and so forth. Um, the thing with chaos and chaos and anarchy are not synonymous, but I'm a fan of both, is you never know, you know, where it's going to be coming. One of my favorite moments of the Trump um, presidency was there was some dispute between him and the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. And there was an entire busload of Democratic congressmen. And they were going to take a plane to visit an American base, I think maybe in Iraq or something. And Trump, as commander in chief, pulled the authorization for the military plane. So they had to bring the bus back to the Capitol. And they all had to get off the bus. Like the like school trip's been canceled. And we we're just sitting there peeing our pants as all these congressmen just didn't know it. Because they had to, they had to get off the bus and that had to be on video. And it was just a complete humiliation. No one could have predicted that. 
So I think without Trump, without this centralized figure, we are going to see things like you were talking about this Wall Street bet stuff. So many more um, uh, attempts and successful executions of things that are no one saw coming and are going to be hilarious. And that will demonstrate how much of the um, claim to elite control is completely fraudulent that these people are not better, that they're not particularly smarter. They're certainly not more moral. Uh, and the more that's exposed, the more hopeful be people become for the future. Because it's one thing to say, look, you're gonna be ruled by a bunch of thieves. Fine, you know, maybe you need that. Maybe you need those thieves in charge to make sure, like, I'd rather have the thieves than the murderers, right? But let's be honest that you are thieves. And that I think is would be a good starting point to go forward. And I think that's increasingly happening. What's the difference between a Trump administration and a Biden administration? Why does a Biden administration garner more chaos than a Trump one? I would have thought the Trump one would have been more chaotic. Because with Trump, um, people who would have disdain for the system, a large part of them felt represented. They felt, okay, we have someone who thinks like I do. We have someone who hates the things I hate. He's speaking for me. I have a voice. Now they feel like, okay, no one's speaking for me. I have no commitment to this system. I have no investment here. I'm being told I'm a white supremacist insurrectionist on a daily basis. So, okay, if that's how you regard, if I'm not, if you regard me as a Nazi, if you're going to read me out of the human race, then we can't really go forward having a conversation. I don't want to sit down and have a conversation with the Nazi. Well, I did for my book, but not certainly in a collegial kind of way like, oh, you know, where your, where your kids going to school? Oh, nice seeing you, so on and so forth. So I, I think it's going to be much more uh, systemic breaking down. And we're seeing in Europe. So if you follow European elections, it's becoming harder and harder for different countries to form governing coalitions. Um, Belgium was the great example where there's two halves of Belgium from getting this country right. One was socialist, the other now the white nationalists were in charge because they speak different languages. You're not going to be able to sit down and work with each other. We had this in Thuringia and Germany where they had a negative coalition, meaning the far left and the AFD, the nationalists, had enough seats that between them no one could make a majority and they didn't know what to do. So, and now in Italy, what's happening is for a long time, you had um, Berlusconi's party, right? He was the center-right party uh, for Italia. Uh, you know, they were the right-wing ones. And then as it was after he kind of fell away, you had Matteo Salvini, the league. You guys are Nazis, you guys are Nazis, you guys are Nazis. They got into government. Well, what happened then is now that they're recalled the Nazis, they're losing some support, but the neo-fascists are gaining support. So when you are forcing people to pay the costs of having views that are extreme, at a certain point, they're going to be like, you know what? I am going to check these people out because that's what you're calling me. And they're the ones who want to talk to me and you don't. This is a very dangerous game these people are playing. Um, and they are so up their own ass and are so not used to thinking strategically that all they know how to do is just repeat what they've said before. And I, all I could do is caution and be like, you are doing a very dangerous thing. And I'm saying this as an anarchist who does not believe in politics. That feels like an element of the thread that we were talking about earlier on that you have such a rapid pace emerging yes. on the bottom and you have such a big lumbering goliath up at the top yeah that's exactly it and this huge disconnect and this goliath is complete if there's like i'm a big uh, zoology person and the thing that brings down giraffes are ticks 
because a giraffe, the surface area of a giraffe is enormous. That means you could have so many ticks on it, draining of blood, giving it disease. It's going to be a lot easier for that than for, let's suppose, a lion, where if the giraffe kicks in the head at once, it's dead. So this is, I, I, I think they're completely oblivious. Uh, they always tell themselves in these words that they're on the right side of history. You know, if, if someone comes up to me with a knife, telling them I'm on the right side of history is really going to be a very weak tool. And if it is a war, just saying I'm the good guys is really not going to gain you anything. So that's what's happening emergently. That's what sort of the, the population is feeling. What about top down? What do you see in terms of administrative changes or I guess top down cultural changes? I'm shocked by how quickly they've come to realize that, wait a minute, we didn't win. Because they thought, very sincerely, we got rid of Trump, everything could go back to normal, unity. And then it took a couple of weeks, and they're like, holy crap, none of these Trump people, who, or who they describe as Trump people, like, you know, they would call Glenn, Glenn Greenwald a Trump person. None of these people missed a beat. Uh, they're not going home. They're not going anywhere. Uh, they've become even more radicalized. Uh, they've become even more contemptuous of us. What do we do? Well, they're, and they're not really, they are just, I think at this point, they're still confused. And they're going to become a lot more confused or they're going to start implementing smart strategies, which I wouldn't bet on, uh, if they want it, if they know it's good for them. And I don't say that as a threat. I'm saying, I'm saying this someone who's very afraid. Are you seeing this with the amount of executive orders that Biden's put in, for instance, that it's just a hammer blow? It's using... I'm seeing, here's another example. Like, uh, for three years, we heard that, uh, the 2016 election was, you know, undermined by Russia, uh, and there was Trump was impeached over this, and and Russia, 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 Russia. There's a conspiracy, and there was collusion between Trump and Putin. Within a week of this past election, every corporate media outlet was saying this has been the most secure election in history. It is not possible to make that statement with that quickly. You haven't invested. It might be true, but you couldn't in a week you know, do all the investigations, see all the mistakes, see whatever was fixed. And how was it that President Trump and all these Republican governors oversaw it going from Russia to now it's completely secure? This is a, a clearly, and to, dis, to to dispute this in any way is grounds from getting you removed from social media and to you should be silenced and now you believe in insurrection and civil war and all this other stuff. This is not the approach of an elite that feels secure and in control. This is someone... If you, if someone, if you and me are having an argument in your house, I'll say my piece. You'll say your piece. It, you know, maybe our voices will get raised. If I'm shoving you out of the house and locking the door, I don't feel safe. And that's what they are trying to do. The problem is they don't really own the house anymore. Like they do not have a monopoly over the mechanisms of um, conversation. And that, when you have an edifice built on deception, being able to speak even critically, is an enormous existential threat to it. Are we seeing, again, this is another one of those threads that appears to be tying together, the same way as executive orders, the same way as restrictions with regards to, to speech, the same way as the press restricting people's movements, the same way as Robin Hood restricting people's trades. Is yeah. this the last vestiges of the old guard trying to hold on to their version of power or how they used to be able to deploy power. And it seems like if they were to go about it in a more smart way, this is the 1984 element of A Brave New World. 
the fact that there is only so far that you can try to cajole and coerce and and tempt people into things until you need to get the hammer out and hit them over the head. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot more hammers appear. And that, as you said, is when it's really, really obvious that someone's decided, okay, gloves are off, rules are broken. I need to I need to press the fucking eject a seat button. And it's also very expensive in the sense of if you and I have a fight, whatever, hey, sorry, man, I was really upset. No, no, it's cool. If you punch me in the face or I punch you in the face, you can never undo that. And that's also shown me several things. One, you're a person who's capable of violence against me or vice versa. And you're someone who is can do that again in the future. This is not it goes very hard to reverse that. And to try to have some kind of relationship that's at all based on respect or working together. It's like, all right, you did this to me once. Also, now there's an enormous pressure. I have to make sure I'm not in that position again because I'm sorry it was a mistake. It's like, you know what? If I get punched a second time at some point, it's going to be part of my fault that I trusted you. So this is when they have to use this cudgel, like you pointed out, or this hammer, this is enormously expensive on the, for them in terms of future relationships. Because that is something that can't be unseen or undone. You can't unring that bell. And it's not just necessarily the person who gets the cudgel out. Right. It's everybody else within that domain. And perhaps this is why we're seeing such a proliferation of Telegram and Discord and Signal. You know, I saw, I can't remember who it is. Let me give you a great example of this. Hold on. So one of the big things I've been working on this past year was uh, turning people against the police. And... I have never seen any population switch its views on a fundamental issue as quickly as in America, at least, conservatives have turned to the police. For a very long time, you could not talk to them about it. The police are what keeps us from being, you know, in a state of anarchy, haha, a state of complete violence, everyone be killing each other. And then all you had to do was a little bit of footage. There was Canada where they broke into someone's house because they were having like Thanksgiving dinner, whatever it was, and pulled an old man out of the house. And when you see that video, it's like, okay, I can never pretend, some people still can, that, okay, they're keeping us safe. They're just like you and me, good apples. You look at that, you're like, I don't know. You don't have to know anything about politics to know something somewhere has taken a very drastic turn when old people who are not you know, gun runners or drug dealers or running a brothel are being violently pulled out of their homes by the police. This is not like you're it's like you're doing accounting and all of a sudden you have like a million dollar deficit. It's like, okay, somewhere the math went way wrong. The trust's getting eroded away quite quickly and it can never be rebuilt. And it would appear that that's happening across all different institutions that the legacy media posts something which erodes a little bit of trust in the government and then the government put a policy in that people don't like that means that they're a little bit less sure about when the police come around. And you're seeing this with just generally the way that people respond to police uh, talking about mask mandates. Like if you see someone that they're angry, but they're not angry at the policeman or even at the police at whole. Like they know that it's not their legislation, but they just see the man. They see whoever is person in charge as this top-down dictatorship, dictatorial bureaucratic organization that's trying to get them to do shit. One thing that I've been really interested in over the last year of watching you, you're a passionate New Yorker and you've lived there forever and you never considered living anywhere else when we first started speaking. Has that changed over the last year? Yeah, as, as you and I have discussed, and, and it's uh, what has been, I, the governor and the mayor have done more damage to New York than Al-Qaeda has. I, I say this non-ironically. 
Um, what I loved about New York, I've lived here since I was two. I don't even need to tell people. People know why New York's great. And I'm sure everyone has a story about why New York sucks, but the, the things that make New York great, everyone knows what I'm going to say. That's been devastated. Not only that, my social network, my all my friends, you know, what keeps me sane, they've all moved out. I'm, I'm like, I'm like one of the few ones left standing. So um, it's not that I'm leaving New York. It's that the New York I love and fell in love with is gone. Um, it causes me pain physically to see what they've done to this city uh, and all the p- cool spots I've went to. Um, so I don't know where I would go. What I'm going to start doing, uh, being fortunate to have the kind of career I do, is I'm going to be spending like a week every month in a different city and trying it out. Um, I'm hearing good things. I can't believe this is something I'd ever consider. Again, if a year ago you told me this, I'd be like, okay, whatever there. Um, like Miami, I'm hearing good things about that. I'm going to be in Austin for a week uh, next week or in a week from next week. LA, of course, to do work, but uh, we shall see. If Europe opens up, I had a supporter who tossed me a grand who goes, this will be enough to live in Europe for a month. So I'm sure you and I could spend a week at some cool Eastern European place and and really have a fun time with it. The Russia stuff is going to be much more emotional and personal and biographical. You know, it, it's going to be a very different resonance. But, you know, one of these like Balkan places, it's I think we would just lose our minds and have fun. Do you not agree? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, travel is such a big part of my life and it yeah i'm able to take a fair bit of discomfort like i I pride myself on being able to kind of get my head down and and crack on it's that puritan work ethic again but even for me the last few months have started to really drag on dark nights cold weather gyms shut um like completely shut and unable to go outside unable to train at least over last year when the gyms were shut we could go out into the garden and just get a a workout in with slightly shitter equipment whereas now it's like there's nothing um so i'm starting my cut today so i'm gonna catch up with you soon. i heard i saw i saw (laughs) online what are your calories what are you cutting at uh we only dropped 500 um so it's down to 200 protein and let me see I'm pulling up the document. I have the documents. It's going to be 2,900 uh, calories per day for now. That's still good. Though you're going to feel fine at that. Oh yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, when we, I have to get to that kind of. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a process. I've been watching over the last year and trying to get the best tips that I can from you on trolling, just passively. I haven't trolling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because trolling Russia. For, come on! <laughs> don't tell us we can't pronounce trolling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that accent's supposed to be. I think that's like it's it's Geordie mixed with Scottish. Yeah. Okay. Know. Fine. Anyway, that thing. That you thing. Could that subtitle you subtitle it. That thing that you do when you quote tweet people and you say stuff. I've been. That's not trolling. I mean, to be pedantic. Okay. Well, why don't you give me your definition of it, and then also what are your principles behind it? How can I become a better troll? I think it'd be very hard for you to become a troll um, for many, many different reasons. Um, but for me, trolling is using someone's flaws in order to turn them into an unwitting performer uh, for the benefit of a third party. So here's an example, a great example. I have this in my book, then you write Mountain Dew, you know, corporate, they, they make soda. They're like, hey, um, what should the next flavor of Mountain Dew be? Like, vote in the poll. And 4chan said, okay, 
we can do this. And they got the number one answer to be Hitler did nothing wrong. Okay. <laughs> and they're not doing this as Nazis because now Mountain Dew has to either acknowledge it or they have to do something about it. And they pulled the poll, of course, and they go, okay, looks like the internet won this round, you know? So trolling is like we're talking about the video games earlier. It's an exploit. Uh, it, it especially works very well when people are low quality people presenting themselves as high quality. So that disconnect between the pretension and the product is an enormous opportunity to get them to um, make an ass of themselves. Uh, your boy Piers Morgan, I think, is really prime for trolling. I think doesn't everyone in the UK kind of Loki hate him? I think so. Yeah, he he can continually trends. Obviously, cause he's on breakfast TV every single morning. And they have a really clever way. ITV have a really smart way where they'll take clips from the show and then distribute them really quickly on Twitter and such like. Like they trend, they must trend at least once a week or a couple of times a week sometimes. And even for like just, they got some lads on that were a part of a meme the other day and that that made that trend. And then he does proper stuff or he goes off the rails or he goes on an illegal holiday and stuff like that. So yeah. Piers well, he's is, also a bit of a heel, isn't he? Doesn't he lean into this kind of persona? I think he likes the bad guy persona yeah. a little bit. But the the weird thing is, it's that's not necessarily what people tune into breakfast TV for. At least traditionally, it wasn't. It was you know fluffy right. way to enjoy your yes, of course, toast and a coffee on a morning time. You don't want to see Piers waggling his finger in someone's face and shouting about it. I grew up on Roger Hargreaves' books, the Mister Men books. So my impression of British culture is based entirely on those books. And my understanding was it's hard-boiled eggs. No, soft-boiled eggs that you all have for breakfast. And you have them in the egg holder. I don't even know what a soft-boiled egg is. Is that what you put dippy soldiers in? Dippy soldiers? I don't know what that is. Like little strips of toast. You yeah. Put, yeah, you, yeah, get yeah, the yeah. E you get the egg cup, yeah, right? Okay. You crack the top. Okay. and then you soft-boiled? Can... Okay. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I had um, a, a misaligned childhood somehow. Yeah, okay, so... <laughs> So Pierce, Pierce, Pierce is someone that you should go after. But what, like, let's say, because a lot of the time the people that come after you, you don't know them. So, But that's not trolling. It's just me clowning them. Okay. Yeah, so I'm just making an ass out of them for everybody's amusement. Okay. Um, here's a good example of trolling. I'm looking right now at a signed picture from Andy Kaufman, who was, like, one of the great trolls. So Andy Kaufman had this um, character, Tony Clifton, who was this, like, failed lounge singer. And he had this bit where he came and he said, you know, my, like, he's got a very particular voice. I can't do it. He's like, you know, my wife died a few years ago. And whenever I look at my daughter in the eye, I see her and she's going to come out here. We're going to do it, do it together. And the daughter comes out, you know, teenage girl sits on his lap. They start singing a song and her voice cracks and he slaps her across the face hard. And he's like, what are you doing? We're in front of an audience. And then they all, they're they're gobsmacked, I think you guys say, and they all start, and he goes, stop booing, you're just making her cry more. Now they don't know what to do. Now, this not only wasn't his daughter, but was an actress who was an adult, and this is a whole thing, but the point is, it is exploiting their very normal, and something he shared, you know, uh, horror at the idea of a child being hit uh, to turn them all into performers for his own amusement. So it's chasing that discomfort in a way. It's uh, the office, uh, the British, the Ricky Gervais's office and many of his shows, they're not trolling per se, but they very much hit that exact same note of humor where you're playing with someone's extreme discomfort. And even when you watch The Office, you know, these are all actors. 
you know, you know they're there's not there's no question in your mind that this isn't real, but you still at home are just cringing and like want to jump out of a window because there was this one just off the top of my head. There was this one episode where they had a fire drill. And there's a girl in the wheelchair and they carry her down one stair. Just leave her on the landing. Like, right, good luck. And, they just, and there's just a shot of the cameraman staring down at her and she's in the stairwell looking up, shrugging her shoulders. And you're just like, oh my God, I, 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 I want to die. It's so painful and beautiful. I find that really uncomfortable to watch. That stuff yeah, that's for me point. is almost unbearable. But I feel, like, I feel like my cringe reflex is hypersensitized. I don't know why. Okay, well, that's because you're a decent person, maybe. Perhaps, yeah. Uh, final <laughs> thing, man. You mentioned on Twitter that you learned something from me the other day. What was that? Oh, this is a whole long conversation. Cool. But basically, well, we, can save it. we can save it for another time. Yeah, well, I'm gonna. I might even talk about it on a certain other show in a in a few weeks. But I'll. I, we can. Yeah. It's a we'll come back. We'll come back to that. That's a nice open yeah, loop yeah. for the next one. Uh, talk to me about the book. When can people expect that? Is it going to be this year? I- Yes, I am half. I hope so. I'm halfway done. So even if I do just a page a day, it'll be done first draft in three months. So I think it's very realistic. It'll be out this year. The white pill. It's about the victory of good over evil. I'm so excited, man. It's, it's great. Uh, it is such a pleasure to have you here. Um, it's. Uh, I'm excited for Russia. I'm excited to see. <laughs> what you do over the next couple of weeks and then the forthcoming book release man everyone that is listening if you want to go and check out more of michael's stuff it'll be linked in the show notes below or leave a comment and let us know what you think dude thank you thank you for being a friend Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget that you can receive a 10% discount off everything at dwaligners.co.uk. In less than six months, you can have the perfect straight smile that you have always wanted at 70% cheaper than every other invisible aligner out there. Head to dwaligners.co.uk and use the code WISDOM10 for 10 extra percents off. Peace.